Hi, this is Wendy Steinberg with the Coffee Celebration. And today's guest is Tina Crouch. Did I say your name right? Yes, yes. Oh, yay, go me. She is a world traveler. She's an equestrian. And I don't know if you work here, you created it, but the co-working space called The Bridge. And I have to say, um, I just read this book by Ronnie Lauren. It's based on co-working space. Oh, nice. Really cool. She has several books like that. So when I was um, doing a little like stalking for you, Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, I know what that's about. So (laughs) why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and we can go from there. Okay. So I, um, like many millennials, I'm doing a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I've always been a bookworm and like wanted to be a writer, but I wasn't quite sure how I would make that work professionally. Mm -hmm. So um, I went and got a business degree and figured out how to travel from there. So I went straight from university to an internship abroad doing content marketing. I went to London um, and I worked at what was at the time a competitor for Airbnb. Now they've kind of shifted, but in the beginning, they were directly competing or directly competing with Airbnb. And so that was when I learned that I could earn money writing, even if it wasn't like the fictional novel I had dreamed of. Um, I was good at it and it was fun. So I started working on social media marketing and other writing from there. And so now jumping forward a few years, I teach um, English and professional communication to non-native English speakers and uh, do still do a little bit of writing and editing on the side. But um, my main uh, gig, I guess right now is building my own business, Tina Teaches English. That's amazing. So (laughs) how do you get your clients then for Tina Teaches Business? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? So I started out on a marketplace for language teachers and tutors. Um, One of my hobbies is studying Italian. And so I um, have found my own tutors through different marketplaces. And so when the pandemic hit, I was laid off from my full-time travel writing job and I decided to jump on a marketplace and just make some money um, helping people practice English conversations, things like that. my business degree quickly got people coming to me specifically for interview help and uh, business English. So from there, I went back to doing what I know, which is social media marketing. And I created Tina Teaches English, started cobbling together a website. And so it's a little bit of... um, a little bit of 
the marketplace still kind of feeding through and now mostly through my company social media as well. You have a lot of moving parts here. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, I think that's amazing because um, I'm Gen X and, you know, I grew up that you get one job, you work it 40 years and then you get your Mm -hmm. watch. Right. And so it's been hard for my generation to navigate the, the new workplace. You know, Mm -hmm. if, if we have several different, um, jobs on our resume, it's not job hopping anymore. It just shows that we're entrepreneurs and we're trying. And so um, I love that you have so many things going on and you're so successful with that. Yeah. Um, When you went to college, because my background is college administration, Mm -hmm. did you know you were going to, because how did, okay, many questions at lunch. (laughs) How did you know you were, um, gifted at social media stuff. And maybe it's your generation because my kids teach me still. Mm -hmm. And did you know right away you were going to go into business? Because you went to Oral Roberts, right? Correct. Yes. So did did they have all the different majors you wanted? What did you start out with? Um, So I really looked at Oral Roberts because it was um, close to home and I Mm -hmm. wouldn't have to sell my horse to go there. So I was still, um, I was still riding and competing a bit with my horse. That's my main sport and hobby. Um, and also I had a lot of family members who had been there. And so Mm -hmm. my dad said he would help out with my tuition if I went to his alma mater. So that is where I went. Absolutely, It was the most convenient and seemed like the smartest option at the time. Um, I'm also the only family member of mine who has graduated from Oral Roberts and not been an accountant. So, um, (laughs) I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I briefly thought about, um, psychology and went into like the 101 classes for that, but, um, I knew that if I changed my mind ever, that just getting a general business degree would probably be the most broadly useful thing that I could do. Okay. You didn't want to do English, even though your deep down secret dream was <laughs> to be um, a publisher of the great novel or which you could still do because you're yeah. so young. Okay. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, um, I definitely thought about it, but um, one of my favorite authors, Allie Carter, she published a series about a an all-girls boarding school for spies called the Gallagher Girls, and she is one of my favorite authors. I started reading her books when I was in middle school. Um, I read an interview she gave where she said, if you want to be a writer and you're going to university, major in anything but English. Said, because you want to have something to write about. And so that was what steered me towards business instead of English or history or something with the stereotypical things like that. Well, I was an English major and I was, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been. So after you graduated, 
you ended up in London. Like mm-hmm. not many people have that kind of, you know, um, connection. How did you mm-hmm. find a job in London? I went through a, um, an internship abroad service. Oh. So, um, I think it was my sophomore year of college. I sat in on an informational session about studying abroad and I really, really wanted to do that. I um, started filling out budget spreadsheets and trying to find scholarships and grants and all these things because I was raised by an accountant. So I knew what I had to do if I wanted uh, parental support, Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm also an only child. And so they didn't want to send their only daughter to another country by herself. Um, But I'm also very stubborn. So I started saving up on my own. Um, Any any job that I had, I would put most of it in the bank. And I was going to do something abroad, whether or not it was the last thing I did. (laughs) So um, I applied for this internship abroad program. And once they accepted me, they lined up interviews for me. Wow. And you did those through the computer? Yes, on Skype. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how long were you over in London and were you able to travel? Because I feel like everything in Europe is just kind of close. You just hop on mm-hmm. a train. Am I mm-hmm. accurate or am I just kind of like? Yes, everything was, was very close, um, especially for somebody who's used to being from like the Southern Midwest in Oklahoma, like I am. Um, it's, I'm no stranger to hopping in the car to drive five hours to go see family for a weekend, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of my train trips were around that length or even shorter. But, um, yeah, I, uh, packed up about three weeks after graduation and went to London and, um, I landed in London with three nights booked in a hotel. I had not yet found a place to rent for like months at a time. I had um, three nights in a hotel booked because a lot of the places I found online were kind of scammy before I got over there. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to see places in person before I yeah. put a down payment up there or anything. And the internship was a little over four months long, but my visa was for six months. And so I got there a few weeks early and I stayed a few weeks after. So I was there like five and a half, five months-ish. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So did you, where did you travel? I mean, I hear it's like, if you go, do what you did. Like take some time at the beginning, take some time mm-hmm. at the end and really make it worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know at that point in time, how many other chances I'd have to be in Europe. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I was trying to fit in as much as I possibly could. Um, I went to a few dinners that my visa program hosted And so I found a group of friends and there were about nine of us all together. And so sometimes we would travel as a big, huge group of nine 
girls just wandering around Europe. And sometimes a few of us would go on smaller trips, but um, I was in Brussels, Belgium for about 24 hours. <laughs> we purchased uh, tickets on a budget bus line. Um, so bust from London to Brussels. And um, I went to Dublin and down to the coast of England for the White Cliffs of Dover. Um, saw the bench that um, I think it was a Pride and Prejudice scene was shot at looking over the cliffs. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, and I also went to Italy completely by myself. Um, and so I oh backpacked for like five days in Venice and Rome. Um, and that was when I decided to start learning Italian. Did you feel safe going by uh, yourself? I actually felt safer. And in my various trips throughout Europe, I usually feel safer in Europe wandering around by myself than I do in larger cities stateside. Yeah. Um, people just seem more likely to <clears throat> give directions, help you out. Maybe it's just because I'm less familiar with the area. I don't know, but I like to think I have um, a solid sense of self-preservation that I've always yeah. felt safer <laughs> wandering around Europe. Um, I always try to blend in with the locals. Um, mm -hmm. I never pack jewelry to take with me, but after like a few hours of wandering around, seeing what the locals are wearing, I'll try to go into um, some shop and get like costume jewelry that looks like what all oh. the local uh, women are wearing and try to fit in fashion wise. That's a great it usually idea. Works. Yeah. Um, I was in Vienna with my parents um, and a couple of shop employees walked up to me and started speaking in German because <laughs> I was wearing, I, I was trying to look like yeah. all the locals. And so just what I was wearing kind of fit in. And I was just, that was, that was my favorite moment of, yes, I have successfully mimicked That's amazing. local style. <laughs> So how are you teaching yourself Italian or are you completely proficient at it now? And that's part of the service you provide your clients. I would say that I'm decently conversational. Okay. If, um, if the person I'm talking to is very intentional about pronouncing things clearly, then I can have a good hour and a half long conversation before my brain just needs to take a nap. <laughs> um, but I, I got a little bit nerdy about it and I went through a research rabbit hole on just how to learn languages. And so I um, listened to a lot of TED talks and found books and things. And so mostly what I do is I have um, practice conversations mm -hmm. with native speakers through like that tutoring platform yeah. I talked about earlier. Um, it's called italki.com. And I found a lot of great uh, tutors there. 
they can either be more formal with it and give me like grammar explanations and things like that, or just practice talking through a topic that we set beforehand. But um, for the most part, I find reading material or listening material that I can understand 60% of, mm -hmm. and I'll read and listen to that and look up words that I don't know, and then um, just try to practice using it. Do you find it's harder learning as an adult a different language? Because I, I, you know, had heard that, you know, growing up, I think I had mm -hmm. to have two years of a foreign language in high school, and they kept pushing it because um, the district was saying, you know, when you're an adult, it's harder to learn. Um, or did you just find, um, and maybe it's your entrepreneurial spirit and, <laughs> you know, um, I know you're fearless and you just tackled it. Um, was it harder to learn? I think it's actually easier, or at least it was for me as an adult, um, mm -hmm. from the standpoint of I could go in whatever direction that was interesting to me. I wasn't following a set classroom curriculum that made sure everybody was on the same general page. Yeah, yeah. I took seven years of basic Spanish throughout school, and I always went to schools that were so small they couldn't separate out into like basic versus advanced Spanish. So I was just very burnt out on, okay, I can list off the colors, the numbers, the days of the week, right? what this fruit is. Um, and when I started studying Italian on my own, I started with phrases that would be useful. And then I started getting a bit bored and I was like, what, what would I want to talk about to somebody that I've just met? I should learn that vocabulary grammar that would be useful for that. Um, so I found a tutor that was willing to learn about horses so that she could teach me to talk about horses uh -oh. and horse riding. And in about 90 days, I was able to have 30 minute long conversations about horses without breaking into English, just because I found Amazing. a topic that was interesting. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. Speaking of horses, mm -hmm. um, you said earlier you own a horse. Now I did. Yes. Oh, did you have to give the horse away? Um, he was getting older and Don't tell me he died. Don't tell me he died. Did he no, die? No, um, I, I kind of quote unquote retired him to a family with small children and he okay. was much happier um, just carrying them around at slow speeds instead of trying okay. to compete with me. You, you really are an equestrian. When did you start yes. um, competing? And like, how do you even learn how to be an equestrian? I started taking riding lessons at just a lesson stable when I was 12 years old. So it'll be almost 19 years now that I've been riding. I took one year of a break in there um, and realized I couldn't give it up. I had to go back. Um, but when I was 10 or 11, 
I think twice a year, I would tear out some yellow pages and circle every single barn in the city and just leave it on my kitchen table. <laughs> That's genius. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then I just happened to be with my grandmother one day and we were driving past the writing stable that was closest to my house and they were having a show that day. So we parked and we walked in and we watched people um, competing and ran across the owner. And she said that her summer camp series was starting up soon. So my grandmother signed me up for a week of horse summer camp and I never once looked back. <laughs> and it has been my hobby slash lifestyle slash jobs just so have you been competing through your 20s also um not so much I okay. competed mostly through high school and a little bit at the beginning of college um but it is very very expensive to compete so I um kind of prioritized getting better at coaching beginners to ride and learning how to train beginner horses as well. Is there anything you don't do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is, it, it so feels incredible. like that when I start listing all my hobbies. Yeah. But that it's was when I hobbies like you are gifted in so many areas <laughs> because explain what the bridge is. Okay, I know it's a co-working mm -hmm. facility, yes. and but how did you create that? I mean, it's only, what, six or seven years old, mm -hmm. and how did that change through COVID? Just tell me about yeah. that. Okay, um, so when I was doing my London internship, that company was working out of a co-working space, okay. so um, they call it the... Um, instead of Silicon Valley, they call it the Silicon Roundabout in London because it's just a, literally a traffic roundabout surrounded by office buildings that um, were abandoned at some point. And so the tech sector moved in while they were really cheap and it's just a bunch of tech companies. So I met a lot of interesting people and enjoyed the way different companies could interact in the kitchen and up and down the hallway. So when I came back to the US, um, I worked for my dad's company for like five years or so. And his company owned a building in town and most of it was being rented out because his company wasn't quite large enough to fill up the whole thing. And so, um, one of his website vendors came to him and said, hey, I'm tired of working out of my house. I'm starting to talk to my dogs too much and expecting <laughs> them to respond. <laughs> and he goes, I've heard of this cool concept called co-working spaces. And would you be interested in having me help start one so that you could rent out some of this empty office space? Mm -hmm. And I was working elsewhere in the building and my dad knew what co-working spaces were because I'd been talking about them. Mm 
So he pulled me into the meetings and I said, yes, I would, I would be willing to work on this so that I don't have to sit in a little gray cubicle. I'd much rather sit in a nice open space with other people. So I've been on the advisory board acting as one of the managers of the space along with um, the other initial guy who brought the idea up and the building owners. And so I work there um, three days a week. I Mm -hmm. turn on the lights, unlock the doors, start the coffee, answer questions, give tours in exchange for my desk space as I'm uh, working on my own company now. So So do you have space that um, people can um, record themselves? Like in this book, okay, because I just, this just, Mm -hmm. they have a coffee bar, which is so important to me. And they have like a kitchen um, where you can record yourself cooking or do your podcasts or, or whatever it is. Is it completely high tech to accommodate anybody who needs a space for their business? Um, we're not quite high tech yet. Um, there are some other co-working spaces in the city that, um, people didn't realize, uh, started up after us just because they're so big and flashy. Um, but we do have, um, the, the guys who designed the renovated space were all designers, um, space designers, graphic designers. So, we have a really cool looking space. We went and thrifted um, like some bright orange office chairs from like early nineties for our meeting spaces. Um, And we're currently renovating the rest of the um, upper floor. So Mm -hmm. we started out in one open space with a few meeting rooms and we're slowly taking over the entire floor of the building. And so with that, yes, we are planning on opening up like a podcasting room that people can rent. Um, but for now, Amazing. people people bring in their own supplies into our meeting spaces and things like that. How do you get people to come? And then are they there for like, like you said, you rent your desk or you would rent mm-hmm. your desk if you weren't giving tours and everything. Is it like $100 a week? Is it... Um, can, I, I don't even know. And because of COVID, did you find yourself changing it at all mm-hmm. to make accommodations for, you know, a worldwide pandemic? I don't yes. Know. Yes. <laughs> so um, everything is on a monthly basis for memberships. Um, and depending on the membership level, you can leave your stuff, like you can claim a desk as yours mm-hmm. with a locker, um, at the like all-inclusive membership levels, people have key cards to the building so they have access 24-7 and everything is month to month. We also have some small team offices. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not just all one large open space. And then we have meeting space by the hour if people don't want like a full membership and they sure. just have meetings a couple times. Um, when the pandemic hit. I, because I'd been ghostwriting in the um, travel industry, I was laid off in February of 2020. 
So I knew what was coming before a lot of people did. I was, I just knew it was a matter of time before it came over from Europe or Asia or any of our main ports of entry. Um, And we had been drafting a notice that um, basically said, we're going to keep our eye on the news if mm-hmm. we have any like lockdown restrictions, we will let you know. As we were typing that notice, um, the mayor of our city had a press conference and basically shut down all non-essential businesses. And so we had to edit that before we ever sent it um, and send out the notice. But a couple of our uh, business clients were essential businesses. So we basically just shut down all meeting space uh, members and access and said, if you are like at a certain membership level or above, it's, you know, up to you whether or not you fit the city's guidelines of essential businesses or whether or not you want to come in. But um, we shut down all tours and meetings, everything for about a month. It's amazing. Like, um, like I said, you, you are, like, I don't want to say you have a, you have a lot on, on your plate. Cause I kind of feel like you have a platter, you know, cause yeah. you, you're doing so many things. How do you find time for everything? Like I'm getting energized just to <laughs> know you like, well, I can do it. I mean, I'm 50 years old and I'm like, I could do that. I could do that. I can, I could learn something new. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you find the time to carve out so much success. It's actually easier for me when I have more things kind of oh, spread no. out. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD just three years ago, right before the pandemic. And a lot of things suddenly made sense to me, just mm-hmm. like all of my hyper fixations on different hobbies and things. And so I've been learning how to batch things. If something kind of grabs my attention Mm -hmm. and it's productive, I try not to fight it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just let it take me as far as it can, you know, without dropping essential other things along the way. Um, And that has been what's gotten me farthest with my own business and juggling different things with the co-working space and hobbies and, and all that. So I know, um, my kids are teaching me, um, about social media and Instagram and, you know, MailChimp and all these different aspects to, um, helping your business grow and be successful. Um, It sounds like your Tina teaches English. And I think earlier Mm -hmm. I said business. I think I just got so excited. Um, (laughs) Are you using those kind of venues of social media? Um, And then how do you stay consistent? Because I feel like there's just so much coming at us all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at one thing on Instagram, like the other day, I looked at a dress and then it's all in my feed. I'm like, I don't want that dress, (laughs) but, um, 
you know, how do you, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just so much. How do you focus that? Yeah. Um, it is a lot Mm -hmm. and I would have been completely overwhelmed if I hadn't already been doing social media for other companies, other events, other people. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause along with everything else, um, I am part of a networking group called social media Tulsa. They um, have run an annual digital marketing conference and Throughout the year, the um, leader of the group uh, pitches the organization team as a social media team for events. So like we did social media for Oktoberfest and Scottfest and different uh, marathons coming through town and all that kind of stuff. So I've worked for different um like business to business mm-hmm. style social media, business to consumer with events and things. And so um, I will experiment with a platform or a service for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And if I absolutely hate it, I drop it. If I get some traction and I think it could, like it's something that's interesting enough for me to keep going long-term, I will keep it. And so that's how I ended up with um, an Instagram page and a newsletter service and a Facebook page and a Facebook group. And so I try not to branch out Mm -hmm. too much from that. Um, I can batch things, schedule posts. Um, One of the convenient things about Facebook owning everything is I can go into one account and schedule for like all of it at the same time and Facebook, Instagram, that kind of thing. And so that cuts down on time for me. It does. It does. And, and I had heard um, that you have to find the one or two things that work. Like you Mm -hmm. can't do LinkedIn, MailChimp, you can't do Instagram and Facebook and all these different things. Um, because you just won't be good at everything, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll just kind of wear yourself really, really thin. Yeah. So um, you're sticking with Facebook and Instagram mainly. Mm-hmm. And that's really where you get your business then, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That and um, I try to partner with other language businesses when I can. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, my business coach Um, who runs um, like language learning classes herself. Um, She is a business coach specifically for online language teachers. That's her, um, her market. And so I have put some of my digital products in like giveaways that she's hosted. And so I've found some good leads through that. And I try to find opportunities like that if I can guest blog at a larger language learning blog or company, then I will pitch that to them. Um, so I try to do stuff like that. That seems to get me the farthest for that kind of the collaboration. Mm-hmm. Right. So if so you're now 
with Zoom and the pandemic still, you can have clients anywhere in the world. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Are you up at like 3 a.m.? Or um, if, are you more no. <laughs> selective? Are you more selective with your client base? Because anyone can utilize you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I started this business because of the pandemic and because mm-hmm. I was stuck at home. And so um, I started being a just a casual tutor on the this marketplace where mm-hmm. the client base was mostly older teenagers and adults. And so um, I also tried like the VIP kids teaching. I heard of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you like that? It was all right. Okay. Um, I, I enjoy interacting with kids. um, And from, from my time teaching, like, beginning horseback riding lessons. I always enjoyed the kids, but it's different when it's like a hobby with animals and the kids are excited to be there versus um, you can tell their parents are kind of off screen, just like trying to force them to pay attention. (laughs) Guilty. Oh my gosh. Uh Wow. And yeah. And by law um, in China, they weren't allowed to um, be doing anything like in any sort of educational class past a certain time of night for them. Oh. So that meant that that's, I would have had to, I, I was up at 6 a.m., like on camera at 6 a.m. and um, 5.30 a time or two. And in general, I'm more of a morning person than most, but I'm not that much of a morning person. <laughs> and um it was just teaching a curriculum that was already there going through slides that somebody else had developed. And I just enjoyed the adult uh, clients that I found on the other platform and they would have questions about, okay, so I was reading this book and I saw this sentence and would it be appropriate to use this in this context too? And I had a lot more fun that way. So now I start at 7.30 in the morning, my time uh, on Mondays and Fridays and a little bit later, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, because a lot of my clients are in Central or Eastern Europe or Russia. And so um, mid-morning here is like right about the time they get off of work. So the time zones there really work out for me. Okay. So I don't mean to get too much in your business, but mm-hmm. people are paying you, but yes. then they have to pay you at the U S dollar, right? Or mm-hmm. how, I mean, how are you, are, did you, how, I mean, is it PayPal? Like, do they have PayPal Venmo? Like how does, how do mm-hmm. you get, I mean, the dollar, I mean, can I say a complete sentence? Um, the dollar probably is weighted more, right? You could get more for the dollar in different countries or has the dollar fell? Like, um, I'm not sure. I think the dollar has fallen a little bit compared to um, mm-hmm. like the Euro, but I'm not quite sure what it right. is with Russian currency or um, European cur- countries that aren't using the Euro. So um, how do you do that? 
So some of my clients prefer PayPal. And so Mm -hmm. I have a business PayPal account. Um, But most of my clients, I have um, a service called Stripe. And it's basically, it's basically uh, PayPal for businesses before, and they started before PayPal had the option of like business accounts. Mm -hmm. So I can um, create recurring invoices to specific clients, or I can have links to a payment page. Um, And they, whoever they're, whoever is paying can decide if they pay with like a bank transfer or a credit card or anything like that. So it just depends on their bank as to where the exchange rate happens. Okay. That was my question. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, you're serving such a wide population and there's so many different, like you said, currencies Mm -hmm. to take into account. Oh my gosh. How many clients are you serving right now? It's really hard to tell at any one point in time. Um, Cause I've been, I have a few clients that I'm still talking to who I've been talking to since June, 2020 and other clients. Yeah. And other clients go through cycles. Like I will talk to them two times a week for a month and then they'll say, Hey, I'm traveling or work's getting really busy. And then I won't talk to them for a few months and they'll come back for once a week things. And it just, it's very um, cyclical up and down. Um, Mm -hmm. And so part of what I'm focusing on right now is trying to get more products created and more group programs going so that I can cut down on some of my other freelancing and not have such a wide platter (laughs) to balance. Because you do have a platter girlfriend. You do. Yes. Oh my gosh. So yeah, trying to, trying to make things a bit more um, predictable season to season. Yeah. So if you have a client from Russia, are you teaching them English or Italian? I'm teaching them English. English. Uh, okay. My Italian is, is definitely not good enough to teach anybody else. Oh, okay. Um, unless they're like a very, very beginner. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I will connect with clients that were both learning Italian and I'm tutoring them with English. And so sometimes oh, we'll share like Italian win-win. resources. Yeah. yeah. Um, or give like Italian tutor recommendations as, as we're working on, on English. Yeah. Have you found that working with um, people in all these other countries, were they required to learn English throughout their school, like primary school and high school and stuff? Was that part of the curriculum or is these older adults Mm -hmm. that maybe didn't have it um, necessary? I'm not quite sure. Um. So I have had a few older clients who were retired and Mm -hmm. maybe they had suddenly had like English speaking grandchildren that they wanted to travel and communicate with. And it wasn't a subject when they were in school. Uh, But most of my, um, say, Gen Z, millennial, Gen X clients, um, they all had English 
in school for most of their at least high school university mm-hmm. years. Uh, but it's kind of like in the US, it depends on the quality of curriculum you had, it the does. quality of teacher. Um, some school systems really make you fluent mm-hmm. in a certain kind of stilted academic type of English and some systems like you would only get fluent if you found outside material watched tv shows found books to read that kind of thing right um I do remember at one of the colleges I worked at you know we would have students that went to high school in the United States but um and this was back when we tested you know um Mm -hmm their competency with English and math, and they would still place in like ESL, English as a second language. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why am I in English as a second language? And I think that you're spot on. I, it's so hard to teach so many different aspects of the English language, grammar, sentence structure, how to write in English, conversational English, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, vocabulary. And it's just it's unfortunate. They feel like I'm competent in English. Mm-hmm. Then you get to the college level and it's a whole different ball game. You know, yeah. it's academic writing is going mm-hmm. to be almost a different language from casually talking to a classmate. And um, one of the things that I didn't realize before I both started studying Italian and teaching English is that English is rare for the cadence and flow of the way we speak. So in a lot of other languages, Romance languages, especially Spanish, Italian, um, Russian too, every single word has the same rhythm every time you use it, Mm -hmm. no matter what sentence you use it in. But English speakers will raise our pitch on more important words or spend more time on more important words in the sentence and rush through the articles A and D of, Mm -hmm. we'll kind of squish those sounds together unless we need to emphasize a connection between two things. And so that is what trips a lot of my clients up with understanding and being understood. If they can't get in that flow. Mm-hmm. Right. English, we have so many different nuances and words and the um, it's not even vocabulary. It's like a mm-hmm. cultural vocabulary almost. I mean, I know when I was growing up, it was like gag me with a spoon. Right. Mm-hmm. And like now I don't know what it is. My kids will teach me. <laughs> but, um, you know, someone who and I was actually thinking about this as I was looking forward to tonight. Um I don't think I could survive in another country not being a a native speaker. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So many of these people who come over wanting to learn in the United States, whether it's for school or just a visa or whatever, I mean, that takes tremendous courage. And I mean, I don't even know how they do it because we are whacked with all of our different, you know, our language is just pieced together from culture too. Yeah. And we have so many different bits and pieces from Mm -hmm. German, Latin, French, all just kind of jumbled up 
and you can't tell what, what's a rule, what's an exception. Yeah. It's very, um, othering to be surrounded by people who don't speak your native language. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a full month in Rome in 2019. (sighs) I was working my regular, um, ghostwriting job schedule. So working during the day and exploring and practicing my Italian evenings and weekends. And I got so much better, so much more quickly, just because I was constantly hearing it, constantly ordering a coffee here and there. Um, And sometimes, yeah, your brain just gets too tired and it shuts down and it's like, no. (laughs) Yeah. And so you kind of have to hope that you're not in a situation where you just desperately need to communicate. Um, But I was also there by choice because I was searching for that experience. And it wasn't that like I needed to support a family or Mm -hmm. immigrate long-term for a job. And so I felt like I had that safety net. I knew I was going back home after uh, the month was up. And so it was easier to kind of emotionally handle situations that got uncomfortable or when I got tired, I was like, yeah. just have a few weeks left. And then, yeah. then I'll be missing all the people who speak Italian instead of, you know, being tired of trying to pull vocabulary out of my head. So amazing. You spent a month. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm trying not to covet, but that's (laughs) and okay. From eat, pray, love, right. She talks about the Mm -hmm. food in Italy. Is it just phenomenal? It is the food, the espresso, especially (gasps) um, (gasps) so amazing. Yes. Um, Everything food wise is generally cheaper there because, um, they don't have the complicated logistics that the U S has for transporting food. Um, they don't use as many preservatives. So the food is fresher, goes bad faster, but that means, you know, it just the simplest things taste so great. Um, yeah, I, I got over there using frequent flyer miles and I was working the whole time, like my normal schedule. So I found a place like to rent on Airbnb where I was sharing, um, some guy's apartment with him basically. Um, and so I felt like I was having an authentic living there experience. And when I came back, oh my gosh, the, I've never really experienced culture shock, Mm -hmm. like the emotional difficulty of culture shock when other people describe it with their experiences. But um, the reverse culture shock when I come back home is always really bad because I'm just sitting there like, I can't find a good espresso unless I drive (laughs) like to the other side of town. And that doesn't seem worth it for like (laughs) all the gas money that I would be spending to get there. But yeah, uh, so everything is just so truly delicious. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, oh my gosh. One day it'll be amazing. 
Um, I just love coffee. I love every aspect of coffee. And when you talk about it, I can just kind of siphon your energy just a little bit because that sounds amazing. Um, Okay. So you are a social media guru. You are a coach to young people for equestrian, right? Are you still doing that? Um, I still do that for like friends and family sometimes. Um, yeah. All right. You created your own business. Um, you just kind of pivoted during the pandemic, which was amazing. So Tina teaches English, right. Mm -hmm. And then you sit on the board of the bridge, a Mm co-working space. Did I miss anything? Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't That's pretty phenomenal, uh, Tina. Okay. That's like rock yeah, star stuff. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I talked about um I did write and self-publish a nonfiction Are you serious? book. Serious? Oh my god, what for is my it? business? Okay. Um, what is it? It is uh called Eight Steps for Interview Prep. Are you serious? Um, and so during I self-published this in October of 2020. So I started writing it during the main shutdown when yeah. I realized, oh, one, I really enjoy doing this. I really enjoy the clients. I should probably try to scale this up. The easiest way to do that would be to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took all the notes from my tutoring sessions for uh, business English and interview prep. And I expanded on that. I knew a few HR um, managers. And I reached out to them and interviewed them to make sure that all the advice I was giving was solid. And so um, I, yeah, I self-published this as kind of a marketing thing for Mm -hmm. Tina Teaches English. And um, it's helped me get a few guest blog spots and things here and there. And hopefully, you know, I can keep scaling that up as another source of income for the business. Are you on Amazon? Is the book on Amazon? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. How do you get on Amazon? Oh my gosh. That's like, how did you get um, your book on Amazon? So in my first full-time job after college, when I got back from my internship, mm-hmm. um, as a marketing thing, my boss wanted the CEO of the company to be able to put published author behind his name. And he had written a blog series that I had edited as the social media content manager there. And so I re-edited that blog series into a book and it was my job to figure out how to get it published on Amazon. (laughs) So I had that experience. I knew that it was possible And so that was what gave me the push to um, self-publish my book. And I um, still owe my graphic designer friend um, dinner and a few drinks in exchange for the final uh, visual design of my book. I love that. Visual design is not my area of expertise. Um, but but yeah. obviously you are incredibly successful in so many other areas. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So 
Tina Teaches English. I'm going to link this when I post the podcast and eight steps for interview prep. And that's just not for non-English speakers. That's for anybody, right? It can be. Yes. Um, The focus is for non-native speakers because Mm -hmm. I do have a few um, like grammar mentions, some American business cultural notes. But um, if anybody is nervous about an interview, wants to make sure they feel super prepared, then yeah, I think it's great for anybody who is preparing for a job interview. Oh my gosh, you are so successful. I am so grateful you found me. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, really. I'm like super pumped now to do something with my life. Oh my goodness. I think it is the millennial generation that is such a great example to us older Mm -hmm. folks about just, you keep going, you keep trying, like you said, pivot, you figure it out. There's no like sitting for two weeks, eating ice cream out of the container (laughs) sort of time thing, right? You just keep going. And so, um, I'm for sure going to post this podcast this week. I'm going to put a link to your book, a link to your, um, is it, you don't have a website. It's just Instagram, right? Uh, Tina teaches English.com is the website. Oh my gosh. You have a website. Oh my God. Yeah. The website is the first thing. First thing I got, got up. Yeah. That's exciting. Oh my gosh. And you know what? You are going to write that great novel book. I have no doubt. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm really grateful you took time to meet with me and you found yeah. me and I'm really excited for you. You should have well, thank continued you. success. Thank this you. is exciting. Yeah. Oh I'm my real God. Glad. Yeah. I'm really glad I found your podcast. I was listening to a few other episodes. Oh my gosh. This week. It's scandalous. Oh yeah. my goodness. We're just, we just have fun. You know, I love yeah. coffee. Um, I love people and any excuse to celebrate other people's success and where mm-hmm. they're at. That's really my jam. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's very like motivational. Yeah. Oh, you are good to me. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. So you guys, we're going to post this soon. And Tina, I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for well, me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Have a yeah. great night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You be well. well. Thank you. Bye.